Swampside Chats, a podcast where every week communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, we sit down to discuss a chapter from The Dialectic of Sex by Shalamith Firestone. The chapter is Chapter 3, Freudianism, the Misguided Feminism. I'm Jake. I'm with Communist League Tampa, and joining me tonight is Rosa. Rosa Janice from Emancipation, coming for the feminism. <laughs> Donald? Hey, it's Donald from Communist League Tampa. And Lexi. Lexi from Emancipation, repressively desublimating. And tonight, we're talking about the dialectic of sex. Chapter 3, specifically, Freudianism, the Misguided Feminism, by uh, Shulamith Firestone? Yes. Yeah, it's, uh, Shulamith. Shulamith Firestone. Good. I have, like, an old copy from uh, the 70s, and it's like, Chapter 6 might change your life. Yeah, that's on my scan, too. Yeah. Supposedly, the missing link between Marx and Freud. And this chapter kind of focuses on, like, a Marxist critique of Freudianism, actually. So, um, I guess we're going to be talking about Freudianism, which I really don't know anything about, but, like, it sounds pretty bad based on what Shiloma, based on what Firestone says, Shalumith Firestone says. When I, yeah, when I was an undergraduate, I got into Lacan via Zizek, and so that's kind of my gateway to Freud, and I've, so I've read some of Freud, um, but most of what I know about Freud is kind of filtered through Lacan. And what I know about Lacan is kind of filtered through Bruce Frank. <laughs> so that that kind of like colors my analysis of Freud a little bit. I've also, you know, read, you know, Reich and a few other, um, you know, sort of psychoanalysis, psychoanalytic adjacent authors. Um, I think I even read a little bit of like Eric Fromm, who's quoted in this article and Jung and some other shit like that. So that's kind of my familiarity, at least with that tradition. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to talk, you know, where they're coming at this from. My uh, primary exposure to Freud was reading Civilization and its discontents in a like m- like modern world history class, and like that's that's an interesting work of political theory. Um, and what Firestone is like so on point about critiquing Freud in the sense that what's interesting about Freud is is totally philosophical. It's not like really scientific. It's and like she even calls it on being some like crank bullshit that humanities women in the humanities in particular get stuck doing instead of doing real shit yeah that's a good point because like freud basically developed his theory out of clinical practice dealing with neurotics probably like neurotic upper middle to upper class people in vienna and from this he like began to like extrapolate like a theory of the mind but of course you know there is in his writings a very kind of universalizing of these like psychic structures as opposed to uh you know being like the specific product of his particular time and place which is actually something that like that like lacan actually argues is that the unconscious um like is changing and changes under different circumstances so like the 
way like psychic structures function can be different in different contexts, which is I think part of the reason why to some extent like Lacanianism was more became more taken up by feminist theorists like in like the late seventies and to, into the eighties uh, to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, yeah it like, checks out. Yeah. Well, um, I think the the basic argument she seems to be making is that like. Freudianism posits like the normal human being in a way. It posits like this idea of normality, but um, for Freud, this concept of normality, and like you know, we uh, I can't remember what was the way she described it exactly, but basically, this um concept of normality that Freud has is just like the bourgeois subject, the ideal bourgeois subject, functioning as effectively as possible under like patriarchal capitalism, and so. Firestone is basically saying that like Freudianism becomes like a way to like enforce the norms of bourgeois capitalist society while trying to answer the who the uh, problems of oppression that like it produces, which it ultimately can't like it's that this is and this is something from Freud really is that yeah, like Freud knows that repression is necessary in order for society to keep functioning. And so this is taken to its logical extreme in the actual practice of psychoanalysis. How so? Well, you are going to be frustrated and repressed in all kinds of ways in order to get in line. And that doesn't just mean like the things that Freud was talking about in the sense of, you know, the things that it's probably a good idea to repress, like, you know, violent urges or, you know, unwelcome sexual advances. This becomes a greater justification for oppression. I'm a, I'm probably going to keep running into this because, like, a lot of again, like my reading of Freud comes from Lacan, essentially, which is like in many ways, like, um, very much like probably a, like a distortion of the original source material. Um, so no, really, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's hard to know what Lacan, what the fuck he was even talking about, but like. You know, um, for instance, like one thing that was interesting in here is where, where she critiques like Freud's literalism and, you know, the, the, for instance, the Oedipus complex, the idea that every kid wants to like fuck his mom and kill his dad or whatever. Um, but I guess what Lacan would argue, tried to argue was that it was actually the Oedipus complex functions because like the mother is like the single caretaker of the child and you know, all of her desire is wrapped up in the air in the child. And that's, that's like the relationship I wear in, like uh, the child will sort of develop its understanding of desire. And the father is basically any kind of force that uh, indicates that the mother has some kind of desire outside the child. And so like the father, it's, it's something that's resisted, but that in a way, like he argues that that's what the child secretly wants because it basically alleviates the burden of the child having to be everything for the mother. Does that make any sense? Um, I mean, so, so Lacan basically turns it into like this weird, yeah. like psychic developmental thing in early childhood, as opposed to being like this almost like uh, foundational civilizational myth that uh, yeah, eventually like, turns it into a totem and taboo. I think what you just described, like, would still fall under the creek of Firestone, because she would say that like this attachment of the child to the mother is a product of like the mother being like the home taker and being confined to domestic labor, which is a product of specific social relations. And well, so these Fire, things that like, Fire, Freud Fire, tries to take... Firestone like, has a much deeper uh, sense of where that comes from. She actually does root in biology. Yeah, she, she takes it to the point where she says that women can really only become emancipated when pregnancy is abolished. 
and there's baby vats, which is, you know, the kind of the radical, you know, conclusion of the book, which honestly I'm not opposed to. But um, I think I think I it's think pretty so- sweet, but also in its inverted form where people who, you know, can't have children can have children. Like can yeah. bear children. I yeah. think that it's like it's based on some flaw, faulty like theoretical assumptions, but like you know, I think Firestone probably doesn't really I don't know. Sometimes I feel like she's just making like wild claims without um well, she's backing them up in the book. Like she says she's that like doing, she's she's doing like classic Marxist like kind of over extrapolation from a theoretical framework. Like she when she inverts or not, she doesn't invert when she um refounds historical materialism and dialectical materialism on the like the contradiction of sex which for her you know she she's looking for really like abolition of gender more so than like abolition of sex although it's hard to like parse those things from from our present i mean i think the i think the overall point of the first part of the chapter three is actually interesting in terms of like it is incredibly accurate in terms of like the father figure is a repressive figure and usually the child like grows a, a attachment towards the mother for the most part because the mother is in a position where it where she has to take care of the child and her love tends to have to be almost like unconditional it is the byproduct of like the way the family is structured the nuclear family is structured that she's placed with the burden of child of being like the loving and caring one yeah well yeah and like to 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 like freudianism i think even in its lacanian form there is this kind of like implicit like gender essentialism because it assumes that like the relationship that um like a caretaker will have to the child will always sort of be the same. In other words, that there will be this kind of almost like smothering force that is completely attached to the child and has everything invested in the child. And that there must be some sort of outside prohibition force, be it like a, you know, like a, uh, it could even be something abstract, like the mom has to go to work and has to leave your kid at daycare or something like that. But like there has to be this outside force that inserts prohibitions into the child's desire in order to make it sane, basically. Like that's what yeah. it argues. Like it like because a, like a lot of like a lot of like hardcore like psychoanalytic uh, theorists will basically say that schizophrenia comes from um, an un uh, uncontrolled and un uh, basically uh, being stunted in development and never like thoroughly detached from the mother you know so like the stereotype of that would be like psycho like Norman Bates where like he's basically you know was basically smothered by his mother his entire life and it just led to schizophrenia but you know i think and that cross-dressing yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so but as opposed to you know there's probably abundant evidence that there's like more of a hereditary and biological basis for you know certain like i mean literally clinically insane traits it's not as bad as like the union interpretation which is like as jordan peterson said like it's like the feminine is like chaos and the masculine is like the archetype of order. And so like the two like combined to like create like the perfect society when they're like in harmony <laughs> with their like un- like deep unconscious roles or whatever. Like Yeah. But it still does like for pro- kind of like project this like deep, like unconscious, like divide between men and women that's like in the s- subconscious archetype and kind of does yeah, it definitely creates a weird gender essentialism. So Wakanda does sound kind of like a crack in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, he, he totally is. Some of his... Well, as with Freud, like, some of it's interesting and maybe even kind of 
seems to explicate like certain things that are kind of true about psychic structures, but how much of it is really useful outside the realm of the humanities, I find to be very questionable. And it's really, it's fascinating. Like I, there's this, I might've mentioned this on the show before, but there's a great letter from Einstein to Freud and they're corresponding. And Einstein is like, wow, you're really interested in truth, Sigmund Freud. Like that's what's so interesting about your scientific advancements. Like it always yeah. blows my mind to think about well, that. And- I mean, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, it, there's a difference though between int- being interested in the truth and knowing what the truth is, you know, and, you know, that, that's the thing sure. about Freud. I think, I think we've talked about this before, you know, like, I mean, Freud was kind of investigating this something where there weren't really a whole lot of tools to really have like a hard scientific yeah. understanding of what he was getting into. So, was, I mean, his methodology could have been worse, you know? Yeah, but he was also kind of dishonest mm-hmm. in general about his, a number of his, cases major cases and so was young actually young um like i i could go through the examples but it's it's like you have like the uh, like uh deleuze and guattari like deconstructed the whole wolfman case mm-hmm. which is basically like it's like Freud projected his theories onto like this guy who had like a dream about five wolves. I mm. I think have I explained this before? Yeah, I feel like did... some of this feels a little familiar. Yeah. Yes, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I think I brought this up before. Go on. Uh, so, yeah. So this aristocratic guy had like a dream about five wolves, and Freud, being Freud, he was like, "Well, you see the five Actually, I've done this before. Oh my god, I'm, I'm I, touching upon the same point. Yeah, but it's a well, great it point. happens. I mean, you know, look at G. Jack. His entire career is saying like the same fifteen things in different ways. So hey, keep going. You, yeah, I definitely said the other thing before. So go for it. Yeah, yeah. So the Wolfman case is like basically Freud is like, yeah, you know, he's he's like dealing with this aristocratic guy, and he has this dream about five seeing five wolves in the middle of the night. And he's like, well, you're seeing five wolves. Well, that must symbolize something. That must be like something, means something. You're unconscious. So five wolves, five o'clock. It must be like the time, <laughs> the time that you saw your parents fucking. <laughs> yeah. That's like some uh, Jeff Goldblum and in Independence Day logic. Where it's like, catch cold, catch cold, a virus, a virus. They don't have computer viruses. We'll stop the aliens with the computer virus. You know, like it's- yeah, that's basically how Batman would quote deduce quote. But how do we stop him? The clincher would be to solve this last riddle. Why is a woman in love like a welder? I'll bet that would tell us the location of the bomb, all right. Well, stop fiddling with that atomic pile and come down here. Two heads are better than one, old chum. Okay, I can't fix it anyway. Not without a torch. Great Scott! A torch, that's it! Huh? Why is a woman in love like a welder? Because they both carry a torch. <laughs> anyway, to get back to the text, uh, I just wanted to kind of quote what she says about Freudianism. She says, Freudianism has become, with its confessionals and penance, as proselytes and converts, but with the millions spent upon its on its upkeep, our modern church. We attack it only uneasily, for you never know on a day of final judgment whether they might be right. 
So it's like she's kind of talking about them like they're like a church, almost like the church of Scientology in a way. And she kind well, of like compares like the role that like the church played to the role that like psychoanalysis plays to like deal with like you know these, the contradictions of women's oppression. Well, and this is something that maybe jumping ahead, but I don't whatever. In part two, she talks about how like Freudianism kind of became a way to subsume feminism, um, but. This, I mean, it's interesting because the period that Freudianism really became um, such a force, like in American society, is worth looking at. And there's a few things that she kind of ignores. Um, one, which was the kind of the first, one of the like first kind of beachheads of like psychoanalysis to America was like through uh, Edward Bernays in the form of like developing like advertising and like mass, you know, mass media like manipulation techniques, right? Um, and I think like. There was probably like some kind of connection between like the era of television, and the era of psychoanalysis. The other, the other thing is like, um, also like the Holocaust happened, and a lot of uh, psychoanalysts were Jewish and had to go somewhere, and they couldn't go east because you know psychoanalysis wasn't really considered acceptable uh, in the Soviet Union. So a lot of them basically washed up in the United States, and they basically had to find a way to accommodate their trade to the needs of the United States, which was this, you know, advanced, like modern sort of industrialized society, right? So there was definitely kind of a development, especially with like ego psychology and like Anna Freud school and all that to, you know, basically rejigger psychoanalysis to suit the needs of um, post-war American society. Yeah, that's like really well. That's that's the whole documentary century of itself is pretty much uh, like summarized by that. It basically shows like you know step by step, person by person, how psychoanalysis, when taken to like the West through Edward Bernays and Anna Freud, basically just becomes like basically it becomes a question of like well, like we need to have democracy, but like if we have democracy the people can't be trusted as self-rule because they have these intrinsic repressive instincts and so in order to counter this while having democracy we need to have some form of like basically brainwashing to like to like you know counter these aspects in a way it's it's the counter like the excesses that democracy could bring because like a lot of like bougie people at the time they saw kind of like the russian revolution as like an example of like the excesses that democracy could bring along with the uh, French Revolution. And the bourgeoisie wasn't really entirely united upon this idea of democracy. And you can see it like you can see the psychoanalysis being used to help. So, um, well, first of all, it was just kind of a, it seemed like for a while it was also just kind of a fad amongst like the upper middle class and sections of the bourgeoisie, right? It was like a hip thing yeah. to do. Um, but the other thing is, um, and the thing is, too, like, there's this weird kind of, like, split, like, in Freudianism, that kind of thought, where there are kind of more, you could say, like, lib it's picked up by more bohemian types for its, like, liberatory aspects, and then, like, more in the professional strata, and it's used to, um, yeah. you know what I mean, to basically, like, soothe people's guilt for reproducing, like, an it's awful like system and being alienated. Bohemian types, either, like, Wilhelm Reich or Carl Jung, based on whether they're, like, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, or like, you have like, you have like Marcuse, or, you know. or Lacan and Marcuse. I feel like Marcuse is just like a more materialist, updated Wilhelm Reich in a way. Hmm. 
Yeah, and like it, like there's also a difference with Lacan between like the early and late Lacan because like the early Lacan was more optimistic about like the liberatory aspects of you know psychoanalysis, which he'd considered to be kind of like a healing discourse. But later on, he got more pessimistic, I guess, about the pessimistic about like the human psyche. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what civilization and this contents come from. His ideas that you need to have repression in order to like keep um people's generally good in like the the, the repressed people's bad instincts and so in a democracy this repression needs to be through like a kind of mass propaganda machine that integrates people in the consumer society and like in the Reich episode we also talked about how it was kind of the area of, of you know it was also fertile ground for cranks because you had people like wilhelm reich uh with his oregon boxes and crazy shit but you also had um fucking L. Ron Hubbard doing, like, his form of, like, weird, like, folk art version of, like, psychoanalysis. Yes, I was gonna say, like, L. Ron Hubbard, he, like, Scientology is basically Freudianism with, like, a whole sci-fi mythology attached to it that lets them make, like, a big money scheme off of it. Like, it's it's really crazy, like, and William S. Burroughs was also, like, interested in Scientology at first, like, there's, like, all these all these weird crank ideas that developed from Freud. It's, it's, it's really crazy. But um, what Firestone says that Freud basically gets right is the nature that, that sexuality is really important at the core of yeah. society. That's what and, she says is, like, basically because like, she says it's not a mistake that, like, the feminist movement and Freudianism came at the same time. Because it is true that, like, in this period of, like, the late 18th, or, I mean, the late 19th, early 20th century, you do have, like, a really strong feminist movement that's connected to the labor movement in many aspects as well, fighting for women's suffrage and women's rights, and, like, exploring radical ideas about sexuality. So the fact that there was, like, so much talk about sexuality due to the popularity of feminism meant that, you know, uh, you know people like Freud were going to talk more about sexuality in a more in-depth way. So... But she says that ultimately, like, the promise that Freud offered, it becomes kind of, like, betrayed, I guess. Yeah, she does, uh, she quotes Marcuse's um, Eros and Civilization, the part on the, the revision of Freudianism, which, again, it's kind of a parallel to the debates on revisionism, you know, and, and like, co-option uh, within Marxism. And, you know, if there's ever something that I resented with critical theory is that it, you know, forced me to, like, come to terms with how much these discourses rhyme and how like a lot of people think uh the method of freud is the same as the method of marx and that this is like uh i don't know it's something i find disturbing because i think you know freud ha has some philosophical points that are pretty good but is you know basically bullshit that you know <laughs> like whereas i tend to hold marx in better regard scientifically but uh yeah it's i don't know uh anyway there's a... Well, Marx was so poor, and it was so obvious he did not have like any interest in making money off of some like scheme. Like... That, that doesn't mean he can't be wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just you know intentions like lead to different outcomes. You know, let's just yeah, face like... it. Like, well, and they well the, the, the thing is like, the parallel the par the parallel with like Marx and Freud is that they were both dealing with something that's hard to have like a hard science on because yeah. you know like there is there is a particular challenge to like macroeconomics. In terms of like how much you can really, um, you know, there's the whole falsifiability problem and how much you can right. really prove. And you're basically working with existing data sets. But I will say that that's his, I think his method, I think it's still easier to do than, um, you know, extrapolating theories about the human psyche through 
clinical work, you know. Well, yeah. this is the question. Though, in the end, in the end, though, what does like this theory based on like extrapolating things on the human psyche lead to, or what does like you know Marx's critique of political economy lead to? I mean, Marx's critique of political economy becomes a weapon of the proletariat to fight for its liberation, whereas like Freudianism just becomes like a you know, basically a, a tool of the bourgeoisie, it seems. Even, you know, it seems like Wilhelm Reich did try to kind of subvert Freudianism, be useful for the proletariat. Ultimately, like, these oppressive tendencies in Freudianism dominated, it seems. Well, one well, one is about basically fixing individuals, and the other is about fixing society, right? Yeah, but the, the gross thing, of course, is that Marxism is most famous, not for, you know, being a weapon of the proletariat, but ending up being this bizarre justification for ruthless exploitation of the proletariat by its supposed government. Like, and you know, that's another, that's another reason these discourses rhyme is that they were, you know, incredibly abused. And, you know, I have more respect for Freud as a thinker than I do most Freudians, even though I think the whole thing is a little more bullshit than. Yeah. Um, but I would say that the failure of like Stalinism actually confirms Marx's hypotheses which are that one, you need to have like a majority proletarian industrialized country to have communism and that um, you need a, a democratic basis for communism. I think that like those two, like I think two aspects of like the Marxist research core or whatever, the core of its research program were actually con confirmed mm -hmm. by the fact that these societies failed. I mean, and that's uh, what makes it a progressive research program is that like, maybe maybe some people, of the research program is confirmed, but certainly not all of it. I yeah, mean, the only Marx, thing that's been the only thing that I think is like a really good argument is like the inability of socialist collectivization to make agriculture more productive. I think that that's the biggest problem that the legacy of actually existing socialism has. Uh. Well, Marx actually pushed against that sort of stages reading of like capital, like personally, like he argued that a peasant revolution in Russia could have actually started like, like proletarian revolutions throughout Europe. And that's what they Yes, intended. exactly. But with proletarian revolutions in Europe, you know, it wasn't just a peasant revolt, you know, on its own. So I think in the end, like Marx was confirmed there as well, that yes, a present revolt in conjunction with a proletarian revolution could lead to a revolution in Russia, but without the help of the European proletariat and the uprising of the colonies and everything, like they were basically doomed. Well, the other the other thing that's kind of interesting, I mean, but this is getting um, way off topic. Well, I was gonna say like like well, yeah, well, I guess one of the other one of the differences because you know, um, Freudianism basically just deals again with like healing individuals essentially, whereas like Marxism had to sort of be tested in like the, the sphere of history. And there's kind of a decisive point where it all got fucked up. And that's when the Russian revolution and German revolutions kind of failed to link up properly. Right. And history sort of failed to turn, you know, that's, I don't know. And I guess the debate then becomes how much that was inevitable and how much that was based upon like weird contingent historical circumstances, but you're right. We are in the weeds here. So let's see. Uh, well, let's go into when she uh, quotes Eldridge Cleaver's soul on ice, which again, I think most feminists wouldn't find this part to be the most interesting part of that book. Uh, so it's just incredibly, I don't know, charitable of her to be, you know, reading from this like this. I, I think she might bring up the more problematic elements in, in other parts of this book. And I don't know if she does particularly well on them. I've heard, I've heard very mixed things. So I'll have to read that part for myself. 
But um, so she goes to Cleaver's description of having sessions with a psychiatrist and his denouncements of whites and how the psychologist just really wanted to, a psychiatrist really just, yeah, psychiatrist. The psychiatrist just really wanted uh, Cleaver to focus on his hatred of his mother and was not, not really interested in how he felt towards white people and how, you know, dealing with, you know, oppression by white people could have had any role in his life like and his misery yeah exactly it's ridiculous and it ignores that like the oppression of the mother which is really like just a weird concept in the end i think because it's really the oppression of the patriarch over the mother and then the children are you know are all oppressed by the patriarch but i guess you know the mother does act as intermediary in that but like there is there is a trope there is a trope where you know the, the strong black mother takes the place of the father like yeah in in these kinds of things so i mean that's but i mean it's just a white, like a white psychiatrist would might might say such a thing so Eldridge the thing Cleaver. is like all these different like well that's the point Eldridge cleaver's point is you know that like even if you want to focus on the relationship of the two mother like that relationship is a product of social relations that are exist beyond the control of that individual like even if like, it's about, you know, Eldridge's Cleaver's racial anxieties are, like, you know, a product of, like, some concern about his mother. In the end, like, it's something more than just his individual relationship that's, like, at play there. Like, the family is, in a way, a reflection of society at large, like, in a way. Like, you can kind of understand society by looking at the family as a miniature of the existing society around it in a lot of ways. It probably must be said that Eldridge Cleaver... Uh might have had a problem with his mom if only because of the comments he's made about women and using you know rape as a weapon um and so that's kind of points to the problem with just being like ah therapy psychological help that's all just bourgeois we what we need to do is change society i don't have to think about this like yeah i mean i would part, say but like yeah, like, so, so think, he should have yeah. he should have talked about his mother then in therapy. Like, he probably should have talked about his mother in therapy, and maybe he yeah, because he did have some misogynist. He had some fucked up stuff about women's day, and if you want to read it, it's uh, in his book Soul on Ice, which is worth yeah. reading as a primary source, but like not exactly the best work of political theory. <laughs> Other, I think the I think he was probably the weakest politically of all the Panthers. But what was I going to say beyond? That yeah. Example. Well, to be fair, he, like, um, isn't like the latter half of the book just him? Like, ah, uh, yeah, I was really fucked up for raping women, and that. Well, he I says mean, that it's weird. It, he kind of justifies it, but then like says it was a product of like you know material circumstances. But then at the same time, like, talks about how he relished in it. So it's like it's it's tough reading and hard to defend. It, it's kind of like there was kind of like a genre, like almost like a subgenre of books like that around that time. Um, basically, by various authors like talking about like the the depths of like criminality and like that the poverty that they like inhabited within, and it's written like in a very like confessional but also very like salacious manner. Like there's this book written, I think, supposed to be written by like this ex pimp. Where he talks about like the methodology of being a pimp and like how to like break women and stuff like that. And, the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's there's the MRA stuff is kind of like that in a way. Um, I, I actually want to read though, like uh, in that same section, there's like a example, and this it's actually a really like illustrative example of like what kind of um, 
mainstream accepted like crankery was going around at the time. So apparently there was this, um, it just says, uh, Theodore Reich, perhaps the prototype of, prototype of the cracker barrel layman's Freud, exemplifies the crassness and insensitivity of most psychoanalysts to the real problems of their patients. So there's this just like a few like choice, like fortune cookie quotes from this dude's writings. Um, yeah. Here's one of them, like, little girls sometimes whisper to each other, men do this or that. Little boys almost never speak of women this way. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of gender essentialism, but... Yeah. Well, I was going to read some of these. These are fucking yeah, great. These are great. She has a great sense of humor. She's, like, highlighting some... Oh, yeah, really she's highlighting stuff. some hilarious stuff. Like, this is this but, is um, also a thorough rip of Freud and Freudianism. A, yeah, a woman, says, a woman oh, gives much more thought to being a woman than a man to being a man. Most women, when they ask a favor of a man, smile. In the same situation, men rarely smile, which is like you know, it's just this is just I can't, like the fact that like this seems like something that would be like in like nineteen fifty six like Reader's Digest, like like a sub article. Okay, um, one of those weird etiquette articles. I was going to uh, go to Quotefire where she kind of uh, she says briefly some to summarize briefly my second point. That Freud and feminism dealt with the same material. She says, Freud's fundamental hypothesis was the nature of the libido and its conflict with the regality principle, which makes a great deal more sense when seen against the social backdrop of the patriarchal family. So I guess to unpack that, she's saying that Freud has this, you know, concept of there's reality and then there's the libido. And is, 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 what exactly is it like? How does it work? The libido is like something that can't be satisfied by reality. So you need extra oppression to like satisfy it or something like that. Yeah. When she, talks, when she talks about the reality principle, it says it's um, the subjection of pleasure to reality, i.e. sexual repression. And she says it's the reality because that reality that you're being subjected to is a, a socially constructed reality, and the reality principle basically just becomes a ideology of repression. I think is that's I think that's what she's saying. Here's here's another one. I just want to read. I'm gonna read all these. I don't give a shit. Okay, to be a ladies' man means somewhere not to be much of a man. Wow. These are, no, these I I feel like these are just like these are like brilliant pieces of anti comedy. Like here's another one. <laughs> yeah. Almost all women, almost all women are afraid that the man they love will leave them, but hardly a man is afraid a woman will leave him. Again, yeah, like oh that, there's an entire like subgenre of country music that would beg to differ. Um, yeah. And then, like here's here's the last one: the first impression one gets of a young woman entering a room full of people is that of concealed or well well disguised insecurity. It seems that being the possessor of a penis protects men against such over self awareness. Like I almost kind of want to like, it's just it's almost it's almost like like stand up comedy in a weird way, yeah, where men are like this and women are like this. Yeah, but it's yeah, but it's like it's supposed to be like this like brilliant like candid observation. Like honestly, like Jordan Peterson isn't that stupid. Like if this stuff was like what was passing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I could see like if this was passing as like brilliant like psychoanalytical insight mm -hmm. like of sixty years ago. I mean, maybe I we're out of maybe, maybe things are pretty bad you now. You just have to phrase it slightly different, differently to to be like a Jordan Peterson thing. So you I mean, just Jordan Peterson is yeah, a Jungian. When the, when All the I gotta say is that Jordan Peterson is a Jungian Evo psychologist. Like he was an Evo psych guy in a Jungian, 
he believes in the two most crank, like, you know, forms of, like, psychology that are beyond, like, Oregon or whatever. So, like, yeah, that's that's some Freudian crankery. Yeah. This is, uh, and it, this it's pretty and, great. It's but pretty this great. is, this is the ideology these, of the ruling class. How like, can these women stand uh, reek stupid misogyny? They can't. When I told a patient in her 40s that she had wanted to be a boy like her brother, she began to curse and abuse me, saying, fuck you and go to hell, an other ladylike expression. <laughs> wow. I mean, so, it reminds me of R.D. Lang and his, like, anti-psychiatry movement, which, I mean, I don't know. There's just a mixed bag, obviously. But basically, like, I think uh, Foucault was involved. But R.D. Lang argued in his Politics of Experience book that basically, like, all mental illness was a product of like being like reproduced in the bourgeois family socially and it was like our socialization in this hell that is the bourgeois family this ultra authoritarian structure that makes us basically like you know is, is basically the cause of like all our psychological issues and our alienation and so he kind of like says uh psychiatry is bullshit you're just like putting like drugs in the people's brains to solve social issues but I think that's going too far because, like, you can say that, yes, like, your depression and anxiety and whatever, you know, is all a product of capitalist socialization. But that doesn't give you a solution to that problem at that moment in your life. Like, <laughs> no, man, just go just go take a walk in the woods, man. That's the real antidepressant. Like, yeah, I'm just saying psychiatry has a real use. And yeah. I think it's, it's worth critiquing some of the ideological assumptions that psychiatry is based on. But to just be like, oh, psychiatry is nothing but a mechanism of control, is it ends up to some <laughs> fucked up lines of thought. Well, well I mean, like, it, like the nuclear the nuclear family was extremely important to the post war labor piece, but it contained certain underlying pathologies that would, I think, be a part of the eventual sort of like disillusion of the kind of civil society that was engineered in the nineteen fifties. So I think the role that psychoanalysis was playing in this period was basically it was kind of reinforcing that like this sort of patriarchal nuclear family unit. It actually works and is great, but you just didn't get socialized in it properly. So you can pay somebody $50 an hour to sit on a couch and have to be your dad and then fix it. Yeah. yeah. yeah that makes also, sense. also it's kind of dumb to blame like schizophrenia on capitalism or something like that. Yeah, like you can't dismiss. It's literally caused by excess dopamine. Like there's no, like it's it's just like there's a complete relation between dopamine and schizophrenia that you can't scientifically deny. Yeah, things like that you just know. Well, there's there's prob no there's, there's always problems with caught like the the reason why academics can get away with claims like that is because it's hard to establish causality in, in situations like that because of no matter what there would be a relationship between dopamine and the brain even if capitalism did cause schizophrenia. Like just on a caught in a causal way, it is just difficult to isolate these things. And like the the I mean the major thing about schizophrenia is that there are you know, there's like you know genetic uh, like inputs on on schizophrenia. That's that's like uh, when you have an alternate cause that's you know robust and convincing. That's like maybe the best you can do. At least it makes cap you know capitalism causes schizophrenia to be a superfluous kind of argument. Like, well, there's a seem there's this one is more tractable and it seems right, you know, like this. <laughs> so do we have any um, do we have any closing thoughts on this text? Is there we anything have, else we haven't got to? Do we have any thoughts on this text? We, we should talk about it more. Yeah, that's a good point.
Um, why, well, why did we read this again? Why did we read this again? Well, I mean, like, I'm surprised that we didn't was, read, we didn't read the, you know, the thesis of the book. Like, uh, yeah. Why didn't we? Why didn't we do that? I mean, I, I well, actually did it. Was a, it, it was but... all right. Hold on, everyone. It was a, it was a, you know, listener suggestion. They suggested that we discuss chapter three of this book. I guess our talk on Wilhelm oh, yeah. Reich. It made them interested in hearing our take on this. So this is done at a listener's request, just so everyone knows. Well, then because we, we do that. Out. We do that. If you want us to talk about something and it's actually interesting, and you know, not too long, we will like talk about it on our episode if you if you give it to us. Yeah. So yeah, so, this, so is, this is going so pass. well. This, yeah. So we got to give it another pass. Let's give it a go. Let's give it a go, people. Patriarchal nuclear family, uh, Oedipus complex, women's rights movement. We, we should make it a Patreon reward. No, yeah, we're not we doing Patreon. Do that. I don't want to. Uh, uh, yeah, we're no, not. We're not, we're not Chapo. We're not, we're not Chapo, and also Patreon sucks. You got to give them like half your money, I think. Oh really? Oh yeah. I do like just, at the end of the a... chapter. She says Wilhelm Reich's the sexual revolution could have been written yesterday. What about the very what? end? Therapy that is that is proven worse than useless may eventually be replaced with the only thing that could do any good political organization. I now, mean, yeah, I mean, politics I would, is just the practice of changing society through collective action. Like whether, what, no matter what you call it, if you're like, you know, and it's in, in, that engages with the, the, the sovereignty, the sovereign bodies that rule over society. So you know, if you're acting collectively to use that sovereignty to change society, it's politics. Like, and so she's arguing because in this time period, a lot of like feminists believe in like individual liberation through like consciousness raising struggles. And she's saying, no, our struggle is still a political struggle. It's a, it's an act of mass politics. We have to organize in mass politics and fight for socialism to achieve our liberation. Well, and I find that admirable in a number of ways. But I just in in my like waking life and experience, I haven't found it to be like a good idea to do politics instead of therapy. You know, like politics may be something that you do that's meaningful, but is and you know sometimes it can be healing. But I found mo for the most part it's very bruising. Well, I mean, what, what, if I, what if I told you? What if I told you you could have both at the same time? Well, right. Yeah. I'm talking about the struggle that, session. You know. We're going to oh, purge oh, ideology. Integrate you to the cadre. You're going to become a real proletarian warrior. And everything that's wrong with you intellectually and ideologically is going to be gone. You'll be able to serve God. the people. Properly. Yeah. You, you just get your ego washed. You get the LaRouche treatment. Yeah. We need a LaRoucheite ego washing. That was his attempt to uh, integrate uh, psychoanalysis into Marxism, was like create like a way for him to. Make cadre truly world historical was what it was called. Oh, God. Yeah, relentlessly yeah. game their fucking minds to yeah, be that, that to shit was push fucked up. Shit. Jesus. Yeah. Well, they became a fascist cult and for a reason, and it really does actually seem like the worst Marxist groups are tending towards becoming fascist cults, and so it's kind of like becoming easier to like separate like all right, who's a toxic moon bad and who's actually like maybe sensible. But um, the, the problem is there's just this sort of weird, I don't know, dialectic among, I, I said the word dialectic, among like these, some of these groups that tend in this direction, like, and it's not everyone, but it's, it's enough. And of course, it, the big ones in society, the ones that took over societies. Yeah. Like there is something 
important to have like a meaning structure to one's life. And, you know, politics is often one of those things, but like it can't replace, you know, what Freud is trying to accomplish, which I sounds really dumb. So and... that I no, no, no. Lena Charsky kind of made the same point. He said that religion fulfills kind of like this necessary, um, you know, it's almost like, you know, psychological purpose for humanity that religion gave people meaning to their lives and so he was part of a faction called the God Builders, and they believe that, you know, we had to create a new God in replace of the old God that was destroyed oh, through man. atheism, you know, and this new God would be like humanity or whatever. So it was kind of like uh, similar to Rousseau's cult of reason. And so, yeah, they believe that you couldn't really abolish religion so much as like make like a religion of humanity where, like, the doctrines that you live by were, like, you know, progressive and socialistic and, like... And, I mean, it kind of is interesting how, like, a lot of religious stuff is, like, how to be just towards other humans and is designed to redistribute wealth to the poor. But, obviously, there's completely reactionary parts of religion. But it's just an interesting uh, historical tidbit. What's, like, what would you, like, pray to at, like, the religion of humanity? Would it just be, like, a statue of, like, a regular-ass guy... Like a T-shirt and like cargo shorts on. See, that's the thing. The whole whole concept of the regular ass guy is a reification, but no one that doesn't actually exist except in ideals. But um, I don't know what you'd. I don't know. I don't know. You sing the international or something like that. I don't know. I think like maybe. Maybe I don't know. I'm not saying I agree with this god building nonsense. Like I'm not saying we need to like create a new religion of humanity. But there is that question of you know if if communism destroys the mystifications that lead to religious belief what will be the ideology that replaces it and is it going to be possible to like you know you know relieve remove the veil of those mystifications without like constructing an alternative to what people turn to to understand the world and so i don't know yeah on a semi-related note i wanted to turn to her comments on marcuse and eros and civilization and this stuff about repressive desublimation, which is jargon. Mm-hmm. But what it means is like... It's, imp- it's important. It actually is an interesting concept. It, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's, it's the concept that really distinguishes current, you know, struggles around identity and, and like feminism, like from, from some of the earlier ones where there are, there's a more clear enemy and there's perhaps more like clear social biases to fight when... When, when society has to like reconfigure its ideology to be more intelligently repressive, to encourage it, the, the repressive autonomy more, you know, like repressive consciousness as a sort of something that you're reproducing to your advantage, like and how that how anti-feminism has been good at gaming that stuff. And in other chapters, she discusses the wave of reaction after the first wave of feminism. And yeah, and so they're like it does, it, does read as, it does read as very familiar. I mean, yeah, I think I we are kind of seeing a wave of reaction like that, and that's kind of what the alt right is largely based in. My theory is that because of the breakdown, the continuing breakdown of the nuclear family by capitalism, people are turning back to kind of traditional like ideas and looking for a family that's not in in reaction to the atomization of neoliberalism, and so. It's, it's very interesting. And racialism is um, exciting because a lot of uh, racists, if you listen to what they say, they say the white race is just like our extended family. And so they term, they, they see race in terms of a family, basically. It's very 
it's very weird. But I mean, it kind of makes sense if you look at like how you know the family structure does kind of like act as like a mirror to the greater relations in society. That's it for this week. Apologies to our more loyal listeners again for the delay. I guess um, I guess shit's been a little hectic lately, you know. People got places to be, things to do. If you'd like to support the show, you can uh, leave us a good review on iTunes, um, like us on Facebook, If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can email us at swampsidechats at gmail.com. So until next time, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow. <laughs>